brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us again this week at our shawlocal.com Bears Insider podcast. I am Hub Arkish along with our shawlocal.com Bears beat reporter, Sean Hammond, and our Shaw Media Group sports editor, Kyle Neighbors. And uh, guys, certainly <laughs> been an interesting week on a lot of fronts. And uh, we, uh, we assume that people come here to try and get away from some of the other realities of the world and enjoy their sports. And so we will stay with that, other than to say that we hope everybody had wonderful holidays and are healthy and safe. And uh, uh, as we record, uh, it seems like uh, our country is, eh, you know, thinking about normal. And, and so we'll hope that, uh, you know, we're headed back there as quickly as possible. Uh, we held off on recording until a lot of the craziness and tensions had at least died down. And so we have our fingers crossed for uh, sanity going forward. Uh, sanity in the NFL is interesting because they've pulled off something that I don't think many people expected. I won't say nobody expected, guys. If you had told me that the National Football League would have gone through 17 weeks, gotten every game played without a single cancellation, avoided for the most part any serious major illness. And I don't want to belittle that because I know a number of folks, you know, in the 32 teams in the league office have tested positive, and I'm sure some have been ill. Uh, but to our knowledge, uh, no one critically ill. And it really, you know, Sean, I'll come to you first. It's somewhat miraculous that uh, when you look at everything around us, the league got through this season and stayed as close to schedule and as relatively healthy as they did. It's pretty remarkable, and, and you have to give credit to the, the folks at each team who are in charge of this stuff, you know, who are in charge of the infection, infectious control officers at every team. You know, they've, they've followed the rules for the most part, and, yeah, there have been some rough patches here and there, and, and there were a few weeks where it looked like maybe we'd have to, uh, uh, you know, have some alternate plans here, but they've gotten through everything, and that's – I would not have bet on that. Uh, prior to the season and 
you know, it's, it's pretty incredible that here we are going into wildcard week and we didn't need an extra week to, to fill in some, some extra regular season games. We didn't have to have to do that. And that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. You know, Kyle, I, I want to get away from the serious stuff and get to our sports, but, but it is worth noting, I think, uh, when we look at the crisis we continue to be in in this country with the pandemic in how the league did it. Basically, it just did all the things that a lot of the experts said from the beginning were necessary to handle a, a, a pandemic or a highly contagious virus like this. Daily testing of everybody involved, immediate contact tracing, uh, significant distancing, mask wearing, hygiene. I mean, th there was no mystery to it. Uh, but the fact that, that the, the, the league was able to keep its roughly 3,000 people together, a lot of them, the majority of them, younger, maybe not fully matured young men with money, you know, who are known to go out and, 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 and do things because they think they're immortal or bulletproof, and yet they kept everybody together. They really did, you know, lay out a format for how you handle this crisis. Uh, we just don't know if it can be done on a larger scale. Yeah, they did a good job, or uh, the players did a good job, it appears, of, of really, really sticking to the plan and being committed to it. Um, you know, there were issues throughout the season. Um, I will say that I, I, I guess we got kind of used to it a little quicker than I, I think I thought we would at the beginning of the year. Um, when it came to some of these outbreaks, um, you know, it, it kind of felt the same way with baseball, too. You know, like we had that, that initial outbreak, I believe, with the Miami Marlins, and you thought, oh, this is going to shut everything down. Um, you had some outbreaks early in the season with the NFL where you were worried about things really snowballing. And, um, you know, honestly, it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, we just had uh, the, the Cleveland Browns lose all their entire running back room. And back in August, we probably would have been sitting here saying, well, if something like that happens, they're going to cancel a game. And really, they, the NFL just kind of muscled through it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that was the right answer, but it, it got the job done. They, they stayed on schedule. Yeah, it is worth noting the Browns also had to play without all four of their top wide receivers a couple of weeks ago and got beat, uh, you know, but but probably not the only reason for that. In Chicago, guys, I think it's worth noting that, that the Bears actually did even better than most. Uh, you, you know, they had the occasional positive test over the course of the season. Um, but as near as I can tell, I'm trying to do it from memory, not more than maybe half a dozen all year long. Um, and while the season at eight and eight uh, did not go the way that Bears fans had hoped, uh, obviously they are still playing in the playoffs, and that's where we're going to talk uh, or head right now. Um, but, uh, you know, congratulations to the Chicago Bears, at least in how they've handled this situation, because uh, they've come through it relatively unscathed. And again, we're probably in better shape than, than 60, 70, 80% of the league. Um, they actually, Sean, were in surprisingly good shape against the Green Bay Packers last Sunday for 50 minutes. Uh, unfortunately, they had to play the last 10, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it continues the puzzle around this football team, which is, are they one of the best, good enough to play with the best? Because the Green Bay Packers are the best team in the NFC. Um, or are they this middling mess that needs to be blown up? Or, as I think we all know, uh, or at least most of us can agree, stuck somewhere in the middle with a very difficult decision as to which direction to go in. Yeah, it, it felt like they had to give everything that they had to get to that fourth and one down by, you know, one possession there in the fourth quarter. And, and while, yes, 
they're that that means they're in the game you know with 10 minutes to go or 12 minutes whatever it was but but man it took so much effort just to get to that point and and you kind of saw in the way that it sort of spiraled downward after that it it feels like if I would argue that they can play with any any team in the NFC right now but they almost have to play a perfect game and you know you gotta have you gotta have Roquan Smith, and I, I really don't know what their chances are moving forward here if he's not able to play. Well, yeah, and we're gonna talk about that obviously, but Kyle just kind of putting a, a, a pin in in that Packer game and uh, losing, still getting into the playoffs. They really did execute almost perfectly for three quarters. They had a 14 minute time of possession advantage at the point that they came to that fourth and one play that is the roadmap for dealing with Aaron Rodgers. Don't let him on the football field. And and while Rodgers had a perfect first half against the Bears, uh, got the pack up uh, 21-13, which ultimately is why the Bears lost the game, 21-10. They shut him down in the third quarter and early in the fourth. Uh, uh, Basically shut the Packers out for a full quarter in that second half coming out of the locker room Um, and, and, you know, showed us that they understand how to do it. Uh, but then, ironically, you come to that fourth and one play that Sean just referenced, and they come out with a play call that I, I don't know anybody you know, who has said, yeah, I get that. I understand why they did that. That was a good call, and it almost was a microcosm of the entire season. You know, th- This was what plagued them for the first 9, 10, 11 weeks. They appeared to have fixed it uh, after the bye, even though they lost those first two to the Packers and the Lions. Um, and yet really at the end of the day, maybe they don't win the game anyway, but if they convert that, there's a pretty good chance they're marching for the lead and, and, and it could, you know, same football team, but, but Bears nation might have a totally different view of them if they convert, convert that one play. Yeah. I don't really have, uh, I don't have an issue with teams that want to pass on a fourth and one situation. I had an issue with that play call though. It was just a terrible play call. It, It gave, essentially no options to Mitch Trubisky. I mean, Allen Robinson and, and, and Jimmy Graham ran to what? Almost the same spot, six yards apart. Uh, it was not a great play call. Um, but you are right, Hub. I mean, they were in that game. Um, and it's just it, – it was a microcosm of where the Bears are as a team, you feel like, because you see some of the, the good parts and then you see the ugly parts. And it's it was really ironic with the way they um, – with the bears went into the playoffs, I guess, from my perspective, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way, but um, uh, I'm like, I'm sure you guys have text chains with friends that you keep in touch with. Right. And I got a couple of friends from college and I remember when the NFL announced that they were going to go to um, a seventh playoff team. Right. And both of these guys that I'm on this text chain with are, are pretty set on moving on from Ryan pace. They text me about it quite often. And I remember the day that it happened, and they announced the seventh game. They had immediately said the Bears are going to find a way to back into the playoffs and be the seventh team at like eight and eight or nine and seven, and that, that will save Ryan Pace's job. And it just, it, it just feels like it was always going to end with this. We knew this was kind of a bubble playoff team going into the season, and really, it, it just was the fitting conclusion to 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 twenty twenty in this Bears team. It is. Uh, you know, Kyle, I would argue that I don't think the fact if, if the Bears uh, were an 8-8 eight and eight team that was not in the playoffs, I'm not sure would have any different impact on Ryan Pace's job. I, I want to give uh, the McCaskey family enough credit to know they're the same football team, uh, you know, whether they, as we say, back into the playoffs or not. Um, and, and, you know, guys, I said from the beginning, 
hate the idea of adding two more wildcard teams. Even though the Bears are now the benefactors of it, I still hate the idea. I, I think one of the things that has always separated the NFL is that only 12 of 32 made the playoffs, that the regular season mattered. Unlike, uh, you know, the NBA and the NHL where half the teams get in, uh, it's why I hated Major League Baseball adding the extra one-game wildcard team just to put more teams in and then eliminate good football, uh, good baseball teams with one game. So I could have done without the expansion, but it's nice for Bears fans that they're the first ones to benefit from it. Um, and, and, you know, guys, what's interesting about it is as we kind of move forward, uh, as the Bears are preparing to do, is even though they are, the, well, technically, I guess they're not the 14th team in. That would be Washington, who played after them and had a worse record, but at least won their division. And, and, and there is some irony there, you know. Uh, Sean, I don't hear anybody bitching about the Redskins being in at 7-9 and nine because they won a bad division at 7-9. and nine. But a lot of people bitching about the Bears being in at eight and eight because they didn't win a bad division. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I've been talking a lot about this all week long. The Bears didn't cheat to get in. They didn't change the rules to let the Bears in. So, you know, they may not be a playoff quality team, but they did earn this spot. There, there is no other way you know, to, to describe it. I mean, the, the league made the rules. Everybody followed the rules. And the Bears are the 13th or 14th team in. So you can debate whether they're good enough to be there, but you can't debate the fact that they earned it, even though they did lose their final game of the season. Yeah, they certainly earned it. And they, you know, they beat more teams. They, they finished ahead of more teams than Washington did. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't have a problem with, with you know, saying that the, they deserve it more than, than Washington, certainly. And, yeah, that's just sort of the system we're set up with here. Um, but man, yeah, t totally sidetracking, but that was quite, quite an end to the NFC East, uh, uh, race over the weekend, wasn't it? I, I was going to hijack this podcast too. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you did. Yeah. Hub, what was your reaction watching Nate Sudfeld come onto the field in that game? It felt very strange. You, you know, I, I guess I did not have quite the, the negative reaction that most did only because one of the reasons it happened is because both Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts had stunk, you know, in their chances too. Um, Wait, you, know, you think, you think Jalen Hurts had stunk? Well, when I say stunk, he certainly hadn't done anything to say he's the answer and he, he had seized the position, you, you know, and, and I, and, you know, I have a different approach to this too, Kyle, in that I don't think it is Doug Peterson's or the Philadelphia Eagles job to worry about the Washington franchise. Uh, you, you know, I, I think it's their job to worry about the Philadelphia franchise. And, you know, what, what I have a problem with is Peterson said that he wanted to see Sudfield in a, in a game situation that Sudfeld had worked all year and earned that right. You know, those are two different things. You know, if they really wanted to evaluate a quarter of football with Nate Sudfeld as they were making quarterback decisions, then my attitude is kind of screw, screw Washington. I, you know, that I got to take care of my team. But then I think Peterson shot himself in the foot when he said, yeah, he worked hard all year and he had earned the privilege or earned the right. Well, at that point, no, no, you, you don't stop competing when, when a playoff spot is at stake because you got a guy who you like, you know, and you want to do him a favor that. So, so I guess the question is, why did Peterson do it? You, you know, I mean, if it was just because Nate's his guy and he wanted to throw him a bone, then I agree it was awful. But if they actually were doing some evaluation, uh, you know, at that point, that's, that's their job. I don't think they were doing any evaluation. I think they perfectly knew well what they were doing in that situation with, with which, listen, I, I don't mind. Like, 
why win a game when you can get yourself a better draft pick? I mean, it was either picking six or picking nine. But um, I, I do wonder, because you don't well, – let's be clear. I mean, teams that want to lose aren't – you know, they can find a way to subtly lose. I mean, that wasn't subtle. Um, and I do wonder – that's probably the most agrarious I've ever seen someone do that. Um, and as an NFL head coach or as a veteran NFL player, I, I do wonder how some of those veterans are reacting that, hey, I just played a 17-week season. I put my body on the line in a regular year. I really put it on the line through COVID this year. And then I've worked my ass off for three quarters of, again, this week for this game. And now all of a sudden you're going to do this. You got to wonder if, if, if that will affect his relationship with some of those veterans in the locker room. Well, and, and let me be clear, guys, I'm, I'm not defending it in any way. Uh, I'm not really taking a position on it. I don't want to sound like the guy who, you know, thinks this was a good idea because I understand, you know, what everybody's concerned about. But, you know, guys, Sean, you go down that rabbit hole and you got to be careful because, yes, all right, you know, maybe the Giants suffered because of what the Eagles did. Maybe my response to that would be the Giants probably should have won more than six football games if they wanted to have something to bitch about. But even more than that, is, well, how'd you like to be a Miami Dolphins fan then who says, well, if the Pittsburgh Steelers had played their people, maybe the Cleveland Browns don't win that game. They barely want to win the playoffs and they're not. I mean, you, you can find eight different incarnations of this or, or iterations of this. That one was just on, you know, primetime national TV in the fourth quarter of that game. Uh, but, but it's not the only instance of this, this controversy we're always going to have is what do teams in major professional sports, not just the NFL, owe other teams in helping them or hurting their chances to get into the postseason? Yeah, it happens every year. So I, I guess maybe we shouldn't be surprised uh, with what transpired last week. But it, it happens every year, and it's just sort of a, a part of the game, I guess you could say. I do wonder, you know, we were talking about the the, the additional playoff spot um, a little bit earlier, and do, do, I, I'm curious what you guys think about this, because do you feel like that, that adding that extra spot made Week 17 a little bit more interesting for, for some of these teams, given that there weren't potentially two teams, uh, you know, sitting out knowing that they have a bye? You know, Kyle, I don't know what you think. I, I I don't know that there's any change. I mean, had they not had the two seven spots, there still would have been two spots unsettled. You know, there there was a way if the Bears had won in a different combination with the Rams and the Cardinals that the Bears end up the sixth seed. They, they would not have been eliminated anyway. You look at the AFC, you know, where you had all those 10-win teams going into the final week of the season. Um so I'm not sure that it impacted the excitement so much as it just changed the, the, the narrative as to, you know, which teams were involved and, and, and what they needed to do. Actually, as I think about it now, I think every team that was involved fighting for those seven spots would have been involved fighting for those six spots, depending on the outcome of those games. Maybe not in the NFC. I think the Bears may have been eliminated. Maybe. Maybe. I'd have to do the math I, I, yeah um but I, no, I, I, there wasn't a, you go into the same situation if there wasn't a seven spot well if the, the bears have been the rams or if the bears win and the, yeah. and the cardinals beat the rams the bears are the sixth seed because of the three-way tie okay nine and seven okay um, right, and the rams would have locked up six as they did with with their win over the Cardinals, with their win, yeah. But but if the Cardinals had beaten the Rams and the Bears had won, there's a scenario where the Bears are the sixth seed and those two are out because of the three way tiebreaker. 
So, and again, you know, that's just one example, but I, my, my, my bigger point is you're going to have that last Sunday, uh, you know, jockeying for final spots, regardless of how many spots there are. Yeah. Um, the AFC was, I don't know. I just found it to be more entertaining with all those quality teams. I, I really like Tennessee and Indianapolis. Um, Cleveland has played better than I think they are, but you know, they were there. Um, I was disappointed in Miami's performance. Yeah, I, I was disappointed, but I was also so impressed by Buffalo. I didn't waste time being disappointed. I mean, I, I don't know who half those guys are, but they may be playing the best football in the National Football League right now, and people better not sleep on them. You know, people are wondering, have the Chiefs been coasting or, or are they struggling or what may it be? You know, 14 and one, uh, sorry, 14 and two, 15 and one. Uh, they'd locked things up a couple of weeks ago. I'm not worried about the Chiefs, but the Buffalo Bills, you know, who don't have a great defense, are better on defense than the Chiefs are, and, and they are every bit as explosive. As a matter of fact, at the end of the year, they've ended up scoring more points. Yeah, Kansas City handled them pretty well early, earlier this year, but Buffalo's playing much better football than they were at that point of the year. I think Josh Allen's a different quarterback, guys. Yeah, he had a... a he hit a wall in the middle of the season. Like he came out like gangbusters and then kind of had a, I don't know, four or five week stretch where he kind of had regressed. Um, it was a little more inaccurate, but he is just winging the ball all over the field right now. He's definitely doing a good job. There's no question about it. They, they've got to, and, and the Stefan Diggs talk about a, a win-win trade and we're, we're way off track. Now we're going to bring this back to the bears and the saints in just a couple minutes. But as long as we're talking about the Buffalo bills and a team in the bears division, I don't think I've ever seen a trade like the Stefan Diggs trade that has worked out so well for both teams because Stefan Diggs is clearly the linchpin of that offense along with Josh Allen without Diggs, I don't know that Allen, he has the numbers and the performance and the production that he has this year, but then you turn it around and the bills get the draft picks. Uh, you, you know, they, they get Justin Jefferson, who is going to be all rookie, who is competing with Diggs for an all pro spot as a rookie. And with the extra first round pick, they get Cameron Dantzler. They, they, they get another starting cornerback um, who's probably going to be all rookie along with Jalen Johnson. And, and, you know, what a, what a good deal for both teams and accomplishing the Vikings' purposes of helping them with a salary cap nightmare that they were in. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to give the, you know, the Jefferson has been so impressive just with Minnesota. And unfortunately for the Bears, that's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with for, for a number of years here. Yeah, Jefferson is, is looking to be fantastic. Obviously, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison's a nice one-two punch. Um, I think we talked about it a little last week. Uh, they did a really job or a good job retooling that offense. Unfortunately, their, their retool of the defense completely fell apart. Um, but they're going to be a fun offense to watch the next few years if they can put any kind of a defense together, which you don't have to be great in the NFL to win on defense. You just have to be competent. Um, I mean, they, they should be a team that can get back to 10 or 11 wins pretty quickly. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, guys, I'm going to steer us in a different direction because I think most of our listeners know that while we do cover the entire National Football League, and for that matter, occasionally even meander off into politics and movies and God knows what else, uh, we are based in Chicago, and uh, we are primarily in season talking about the Chicago Bears, and 
quite frankly, two, three weeks from now, we, we may have to talk about the rest of the NFL maybe as soon as next week. Um, but as you look at what is coming this Sunday with the Bears uh, at New Orleans, and by the way, it is worth noting, that is the primo spot of Wild Card Weekend. Uh, they put the Bears and the Saints in the, the late Sunday afternoon spot for the networks is the most important one. Yeah, you got primetime Sunday night and Saturday night, uh, but I've been studying this a long time, guys, and folks will tell you the Saturday night primetime spot is kind of a dead spot. Uh, you're going to put a good game there, but they just don't get as big an audience on Saturday evenings. The Sunday night primetime spot um, is nice, but has a lot of competition. The highest rated games during the playoff season are those late afternoon Sunday games. And it was no accident that they put the Bears in there with the Saints in large part because of the Chicago TV market. Um, they've got the LA market covered on Saturday, but, but the, the Los Angeles folks just don't cover it or watch it as closely as they do in New York and Chicago. Um, and so that's, you know, the reason that they're there, but at the end of the day, it is a highlight game. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I wrote earlier this week, you can read it at shawlocal.com or northwestherald.com, uh, going back to week eight, when the Bears and the Saints played to as close to a dead heat as you can get. Uh, the game went to overtime. Uh, the Saints won it on a field goal with a minute 40 left in overtime. Uh, the Bears missed two tremendous opportunities to attempt to win the game in overtime when first Eddie Jackson and then Roquan Smith dropped easy interceptions from Drew Brees. Uh, the Smith pick in particular, they would have gotten the ball in Saints territory. Who knows what happens? Didn't happen. Bears lost the game. Saints were the better team. Uh, Saints also did not have Michael Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders. But at the end of the day, you go back and look at that football game and the Bears they didn't just play them even, they outplayed them uh, for the most part. Uh, they outgained them, uh, the New Orleans Saints, uh, in regulation. They had about a five-minute advantage in time of possession. They held Drew Brees and the Saints to two of 13 on third down and, and, and practically almost shut them out in the red zone as well. Um, the difference in the game in the end was there were three or four crucial plays for the Saints where either Alvin Kamara uh, or Drew Brees made the play, and there were two or three crucial plays for the Bears where Nick Foles not only didn't make the play, but on one turned it over, and on the other backed them up a couple times with miscommunications from the sidelines on delay a game. The numbers looked like Foles played one of his better games, but in fact, Foles did not play well at all, um, and yet it was the Bears' defense that was still playing like the Bears defense we expected coming into the season that kept him in. So, you know, Kyle, uh, as you get ready, and, and then a little history, yes, it's the Bears' first wild card appearance since 1994, the 1993 season, Dave Wanstead's second year, when, by the way, the Bears lost on the last game of the season and backed in as a wild card team, the sixth seed, and then went up to Minnesota and beat the Vikings. They've been in the playoffs as division champs, uh, you know, a few times since, but not as a wild card. Um, and it is also the first playoff meeting between these two teams since the NFC title game in 2006 when the Chicago Bears beat the New Orleans Saints to go to only the second Super Bowl, the only other Super Bowl the Bears have been in since 85. So with that as kind of the backdrop, um, you know, Kyle, uh, yes, the Saints are 10-point favorites. They should be, I guess. If the line's not moving, that tells us they should be, you know. Um, but – you know, we have every reason to believe that the Bears can go down there and, and give them a game and, and maybe even win it. <laughs> they shouldn't be a 10-point favorite. Um, and that's not to say I, the Saints are the better team. But um, 
uh, when when it became apparent the Bears were going to play the Saints, uh, out of the three possibilities of who the Bears were going to play in the first round of playoffs, Green Bay, Seattle, or New Orleans, I thought New Orleans was easily the best matchup for the Bears out of the three. Um, I'm not. A, I, I, we talked about it a little bit last week. I'm not a sports betting guy, but when I saw that that line, I was. If I was a sports getting a sports betting guy, I would have been smashing that at, at Bears. I think it opened at nine and a half. Um, the Saints are just not a nine and a half better, point better team than anyone really in the NFL outside of maybe the worst of the worst. Um, and this is a game that I think is going to be competitive. You mentioned the the 2006 game. Uh, obviously, the Bears were a better team then, but it's I, I to me it kind of feels like the same it's the same philosophy to beat the the saints as it was in, in 2006. It's run the ball. Well, keep Drew Brees off the field and pressure. him when you get the chance. Well, and Sean, there, there's another piece of this that I, I, I mentioned that column and, and I wasn't aware of this until I was working on the column, but the New Orleans saints are 12 and four. They're the number two seed in the NFC. I had no idea until I did the research that of those 12 wins, the only two over 500 or winning teams are their two wins over the Bucks. Their other 10 wins are all over losing teams, except for the only 500 team they beat was the Bears. And we just talked about how hard that was for them. And what's ironic about that is that the Bears' only win over a winning team is also over the Bucks. You know, so there, there's, there's four games that separate these two in the standings. But it's hard to find things on tape or, or in their performance over the year that suggests that the Saints are that much better than the Bears. Yeah, the, I'm with you, Kyle, in that, you know, with the, the, the Lion Vegas nine and a half or ten or whatever it is, I don't, I, I don't see it being uh, – I feel like the Bears can certainly play in this game. And they can be – you know, they lost to him by three last time in overtime – a lot has changed since then, but I definitely think that they can play with this team. Um, you know, you got Mitch Trubisky in there now instead of Nick Foles. That's obviously one big difference. And, and Hub, you mentioned the, the defensive performance from the Bears last time they played the Saints was really impressive. We've seen some, uh, some struggles on the defensive side in, in the latter part of the year here. So I wonder, you know, if, if the Bears are going to be able to, to put together – a similar performance to what they did uh, back in November. Um, I think those, those are obviously the two key things that have changed here in the, in the interim. And um, I feel like this bears team can score more than, than they, the 23 points they scored the last time, just with the way they're moving the ball. But you also got to be impressed what, what new Orleans did last week with five interceptions and against Carolina. And that's certainly a concern when you have a quarterback who is is prone to making some mistakes here and there. So two quick thoughts here, guys. Number one to this 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 whole favorite and point spread thing, and being the old guy here, uh, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I'll just remind everybody, Kyle. There's a reason that I don't bet. I, I've never bet mainly because I hate the losing so much more than I enjoy the winning. But beyond that, it's such a fragile thing. I mean, we talk about you know the Saints shouldn't be ten points better than anybody. Well, the Bears play the Packers to an absolute standstill and, and they're down five with 10 minutes to play and still lose the game by 19. So, you know, the, the, those numbers can, can be, no, no matter how well you play can be frustrating, but even more to the point is that, as you mentioned, it opened at nine and a half and it went to 10. And, and the only thing that the line tells us is that the house has half the money on either side of it. And so there is half of the NFL nation 
that does believe the Saints are 10 points better than the Chicago Bears. It's, it's a lot more than half, actually, because if it was less, then that line would be coming down. Now, you know, they talk about smart money coming in late. Maybe the line will come down a point or two, but whatever. I don't know if the point spread really matters. The other point that I think is more relevant is that the, the biggest single difference in that Bears team week eight and the Bears team we've seen the last couple of weeks that you don't realize when you look at the stats, but if you go back and look at the tape, they had pressure on Drew Brees all day long. Khalil Mack sacked him once for a nine-yard loss, but Drew Brees only got sacked 12 times all year, guys. So, so you know, one a game is, a, is ahead of average. They were in his face. They hurried him. Uh, they moved him off his spot, and, and it's that pass rush. Other than that two-week window against the Texans and the Vikings where they got 11 of their 36, what, 35, 36 sacks on the year, that pass rush has kind of disappeared since midseason. If the Bears get that back, Kyle, that could be the most important ingredient to them being competitive Sunday in New Orleans. I'm, I'm pretty confident, Hub, if the Bears are able to pressure Drew Brees this week that they're going to be in this game from start to finish. Um, I, I've been pretty – pretty um loud or clear on my messaging that uh, that I feel like Drew Brees is really in the twilight of his career I was kind of that way last year I definitely feel that uh way this year the reason the Saints have been competitive over 12 and 4 is because they're a really well-rounded team but Drew Brees is not going to beat many people at this point of his career um particularly if the Bears are able to put pressure on him on Sunday I think there's a good chance we go into the fourth quarter with the Bears right there to win this game I you know again you watch the tape of last time and it was a formula that would work that worked it was before uh you know Breeze went through the serious injuries that he suffered I want to say that was a couple weeks later Sean and since he came back uh he was better last week against Carolina uh but he hasn't played great and and actually it's interesting Michael Thomas as good as he is uh has not really dominated anybody since he finally got back on the football field either what is different about the Saints 10 weeks later is their defense is playing much better than it was when they were here in Chicago. Yeah, that defense has been impressive. Uh, I think I mentioned before the five interceptions against the Panthers. And, you know, they've played some really some really good games, uh, you know, recently. I know, uh, you know, you look at a lost they gave up 32 points to the Chiefs a few weeks ago, but they were in that game 32-29, and, and they've played with, with some good teams, but that is, that is interesting. The, the note you mentioned hub about their record, um, you know, most of those wins coming against teams under 500. That's not something that I would have, would have uh, uh, guessed, I guess. It caught me off guard. I, I, I just assumed I, you know, I knew they'd played the Packers and of course the Packers beat them and they played the Packers very tough. Um, and, and it's not even like all their losses are quality. I mean, they got beat by the Eagles. <laughs> right. Know? They got beat uh, badly by the Eagles. Now that you say that, yeah, that was a terrible game. Uh, yeah, I think that, that might have been Drew Brees' first game back. If it I was. It, you know, it, and he was out of sync. There was no question about that. Um, you know, now they played the Chiefs tough, and, and they got beat by the Chiefs. So you've got two good games with the Chiefs and the Packers, but the Bears played the Packers tough. So, you know, you don't look at how well they lost. Uh, at the end of the day, um, they're, they're just not – the dominant football team that that 10 point spread, uh, you know, suggests that they are. One thing that I, I think is really interesting that we haven't touched on yet is this defense, the Saints defense is playing really well. Um, I do think they're a little bit more susceptible to the pass and the run. Actually, they've been pretty good against the run all year, um, which has kind of become the, the Bears bread and butter. David Montgomery has been terrific uh, the last four or five weeks. Um, that has been against questionable run defenses. Um, 
so what happens here? How confident do we feel if the Saints continue to perform well against the run? They take David Montgomery away early, um, and this game falls into to Mitch's hands. Well, here, here's another irony for you, though, which is that even at that time, the Saints' defense was, I think, ranked three or four against the run. They, they struggle with the pass. Um, but in that game, prior to the Bears revamping their running game, they, they went basically from the inside zone RPO to an outside zone read scheme. Uh, they, they averaged over four yards a carry and, and, and were just under 100 yards. They had 96 yards. Uh, uh, David Montgomery had 21 carries for 89 yards. Uh, and so even before, quote, fixing the running game, they had success against the Saints. Uh, now, you know, maybe the Saints defense will play this scheme better. Uh, but there's nothing on that tape, Sean, from 10 weeks ago to suggest that the Saints are going to be able to slow the Bears' run. I think what worries me more is that I was – guys, I'll get back to what worries me more in a minute. I can't believe Marshawn Lattimore was voted to the Pro Bowl. I mean, the whole story of the Saints, the first 10 weeks of the season, was him getting beat every week for a big chunk play, you know. That's why I have no use for the Pro Bowl whatsoever. But the point is, as it relates to this game, you say, oh, you know, they got these great defensive backs. The Bears are in trouble. Their secondary has not played well this year, you know, even though they've, they've played better in the last five, six, seven weeks. You know, Sean, you just mentioned all the picks last week. Um, but but this is not a secondary that should haunt Mitch Trubisky the way good secondaries have. Yeah, and and you mentioned the um, 89 yards for David Montgomery. That was his highest total before they revamped the the offensive line. So I feel like they should be able to run the ball. And and you know a lot has changed since then, and they've they've gotten him into more of a rhythm. And I feel like that should be their recipe to success. Like you were saying, Kyle, you know, keep the ball out of, out of the Saints' hands and, and run the ball well. Um, but, like, you know, it's it's interesting to see you talk about the Saints, you know. You, this season is such a such – a, um, it's such a long haul. And you got the, the good and the bad with the Saints secondary, and they've played well recently. But, but like you were saying, Hub, they, they had these struggles early on. So you wonder here just – you know, can Mitch Trubisky just do what he's been doing and protect the ball and, and throw those easy passes and, and keep the, keep the offense moving downfield. I, I feel like that's, that's certainly within his realm of, of ability here um, in the NFC playoffs. And I feel like that will at least give them a shot in this game. There's another interesting matchup here, guys, because what this all comes down to is what Sean Payton going to do with his team and what is Matt Nagy going to do with his. Sean Payton is not an easy – let me rephrase that. He is an easy guy to dislike with a lot of things that he does, but he's a really good football coach, and this is a tough matchup for Matt Nagy. Um, and, and, and Matt, you know, I think has scored some points with the adjustments he's made and the things he's done uh, to get the Bears to the playoffs since the six-game losing streak, uh, but still a lot more questions on the Bears' sideline than on the Saints' sideline as far as that coaching matchup, Sean. Uh, Kyle? Um, the Bears ran a play last week that I've been wondering where that went in the playbook all year, which was um, the Cole Komet inside shovel pass, um, which is a staple of the Andy Reid offense. Uh, it was nice to see it. And I just thinking of that made me kind of wonder. I haven't gone back and done this. I don't know if either of you guys have, though. Um, I'd be interested to go back to that Kansas City-New Orleans matchup from a few weeks ago or four or five weeks ago now. I can't remember how long it's been. But it, it was like week 14, right? Near the end of the year was when Drew Brees was just coming back, right? 
Yeah, there was uh, exactly. I think it was three it weeks. It was uh, December twentieth. Yeah, three weeks. Okay, ago. everything's running together at this point. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I I actually now I kind of want to go back and watch that game and just see how the the Chiefs offense operated uh, against that Saints defense. And listen, I'm not trying to say the Bears are going to go out and be the Chiefs Chiefs offense, but I think there's probably a lot we could learn about what would work against that Saints defense that the Bears should be able to incorporate into their game plan. I'll tell you, it's interesting that you, you note that play, Kyle, because they actually did run it twice that I remember early in the season with Jimmy Graham, and it didn't work. Yeah, it's and not going to work with Jimmy Graham. Well, and, and that, that's the point, is that I, I think Bears fans have to be excited about what they've seen from Cole Komet the last three, four weeks. Not the fumble, obviously, which was you know crucial uh, against the Packers last week. But but this kid is starting to look like exactly what they said they thought he could be when they drafted him. And when he gets the ball in his hands, I mean, he, he is it's Ditka-esque uh, for those of you old enough to have seen the grainy black and white highlight uh, of the Sunday after the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy when Mike Ditka ran through the entire Pittsburgh Steelers team uh, for 70-some yards to, to get the Bears a – I think it was a 17-17 tie – that in fact ended up giving them a half game uh, division lead in the division championship to win the division championship that year. That's a long winded explanation of go back and just, just, just Google Ditka run against the Steelers. You'll know what I'm talking about. It, it defined the modern tight end position with toughness and inability to tackle him. Cole Komet with the ball in his hands is a horse, Sean. And, and, and that's fun to see. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, impressive. And, and it's good to see him coming along here at the end of the year. Cause uh, you know, it was sort of a slow start, and I, I think that was expected on on a lot of levels. And maybe maybe some fans wanted to see this earlier in the year, but you know, you're talking about a rookie who's who's learning the position and one of the positions that's notably difficult to to come into the NFL and do. And um, it it's been it's been impressive, and and I feel like he's um, just in the interviews we've we've done with him, he he really handles himself well too, and and is is a thoughtful kid. Guys, we're about out of time. I, I think the one other aspect of this game we should note is obviously you love to play at home, but there has been no home field advantage for the most part in the NFL this year. There will be, uh, I don't think any fans in the stands in New Orleans. If so, it would be limited, but I don't think they've even had people in the dome uh, down there. And quite frankly, at this point the season, being able to play indoors on a fast track for the Chicago Bears without any crowd to deal with, um, I'm not so sure that even that, I'm not going to say it benefits the Bears, but I don't think it hurts the Bears anywhere near the way it would, Kyle, you know, under normal circumstances. Yeah, it won't be a detriment, I don't think. Uh, one other aspect I think we do need to talk about, you bring, we talk about impressive rookies, um, and Cole Komet, when it comes to the Bears, you got uh, Darnell Mooney, who we're still not sure he's going to be able to play this weekend after an ankle injury. Uh, Roquan Smith uh, uh, dealing with, uh, was it a shoulder? Uh, elbow injury, elbow, right? Elbow. And neither of those guys practice on Wednesday. And, and on the other side of the ball, um, maybe there was an update on this yesterday. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of got distracted by the world falling apart. Um, but I did not remember seeing anything on Alvin Kamara, who is on the COVID list. Um, will not be able to practice all week because of the the 10-day quarantine. Uh, he could be activated on Saturday to play Sunday, but I have not seen any update on on his status, if he's doing okay or or if there's any kind of a lean one way or the other, if he's going to be able to play or not. Obviously, all three of those injuries will have a, a real impact on Sunday's game. Yeah, as, as we record, there has been no update on Kamara other than the fact that he tested um, and, and the, the – 
the, the reports out of New Orleans is that they're hopeful and cautiously optimistic uh, that he'll be well enough to play because the quarantine deadline will be up. Uh, as far as the Bears, I, I, I kind of purposely have stayed away from that because I'm working on the assumption that Roquan Smith and Darnell Mooney will not play. Uh, just seeing the way the injuries occurred Sunday, the way the game ended for them on Sunday, um, you know, there's no way that we would know until Friday afternoon or even Sunday morning if there was any hope. Those are significant losses. Uh, but to sit here and guess at it doesn't do us much good, guys. You, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, it, it's interesting that the two players that maybe the two teams could least afford to lose for a game like this, Alvin Kamara for the Saints and Roquan Smith for the Bears, tend to cancel each other out. Because while it's not a one-on-one -on -one matchup per se, um, it, it is quite a bit, you know, where you end up with your most athletic linebacker covering a running back in the passing game. Um, in terms of uh, the Bears' run defense, uh, it's hard to imagine the Bears beating a healthy Kamara without Smith, but it is also clear that the Saints would have some issues with their offense without Kamara with a healthy Smith. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking of it, I do believe Michael Thomas returned to practice yesterday. Um, but he has been on IR uh, for the last, I believe, three weeks, too. They, I mean, I expect him to play, but we still don't know how healthy he's going to be. This Saints offense is definitely not at full strength. Which, you know, Sean, could explain – well, actually, there's nothing to explain. They're 12-4. They're and four. It's a great record. It wouldn't change the schedule. Um, but but the, the Saints also have not been particularly impressive in a lot of those wins over some of these losing teams and, and, and all of the injuries slash, uh, you know, test issues um, and everything else that has gone on probably do have something to do with that. So at the end of the day, guys, I'm sitting here thinking as we get ready to say goodbye – we sound awfully upbeat about the Bears' chances on Sunday. And, and you know, nobody is overlooking the fact, again, that they are 10-point dogs for a reason, even if that number is a point or two too high. Um, and, and, and the one thing that we can't gloss over is this is a matchup between Drew Brees and Mitch Trubisky. And, 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 and I'm not – I don't want to put this whole thing on Mitch because I think he's been treated probably less than fairly over the course of this year uh, by media and fans alike. But at the end of the day, he also is who he is. And, and Drew Brees is who he is, even if he's not who he was a couple of years ago. And, and, and much as we saw with the Packers game, Aaron Rodgers. You know, let's be honest, guys, that was the difference. You know, the, the things that Rodgers was able to do for his team that, that Trubisky wasn't able to do for his. And, and, and that's why – as much as there are a lot of ways the Bears can win the game, Sean, it, it, it's hard to be overly optimistic that, that, yes, hey, let's pick the upset. The Bears are going to go down there and get it done. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly optimistic about it. And, and just a fun note here that we learned yesterday talking to Mitch. Uh, he said that uh, uh, Drew Brees was one of his favorite players back when he was a member of the San Diego Chargers along with LaDainian Tomlinson. So, so that'll, that'll tell you uh, a little bit about Mitch growing up. So, Kyle, as we wrap this up, I don't, I don't want to give away too much about our predictions. People need to go to shawlocal.com or northwestherald.com to get them. Uh, our staff makes our predictions every week. But I'll say it here. I'm not going to be picking the Bears to win on Sunday. I'd like to, but uh, I don't want to destroy a reputation I've spent over 40 years building. Uh, you know, the analysis says that the Saints are the better football team. Uh, but I think we've made a pretty good case as to why the Bears – 
could keep it interesting and, and, and certainly could pull the upset. And, and that's something for Bears fans to look forward to on Sunday. I, I, I'll be the guy. I mean, I'm, I, I am not settled that I'm going to pick the Bears, but I am certainly considering it. I think this is a good matchup. Um, I think this is going to be a close game. At the end of the day, you kind of are – you hit the nail on the head, though. Like, every time I go, man, the Bears can really win this game, I go, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to Mitch Trubisky versus Drew Brees in the Superdome. Do I really think the Bears are the favorite here? And I, I guess I shouldn't say I don't think the Bears are the favorite, but I do think it's close enough that you can make that the case that the Bears are going to win this game or could win this game or have a reasonable chance to win this game. I guess what I'm trying to say is all this is don't have a doom and gloom uh, or just thinking the Bears are about to get popped on national TV on Sunday. I think that you should expect the Bears to be in this game. And and if they're not, then they're probably going to be more tough questions at Hallis Hall. Sean, there, there's more than two reasons that I'm going to end up picking the Saints, but there are two overriding reasons that are going to be the basis of a lot of what we spend the whole offseason talking about. Number one, uh, is uh, the Bears should have beat the Packers last Sunday, but it came down to two two plays or two reasons. On fourth and one, with the game on the line and all the momentum in the world and a chance to take the lead, the Bears came up with one of the worst play calls I've ever seen, which they have done consistently over the last year or two in those situations, in games like this, almost all of which they've lost. Reason number two after the Packers went down and stretched the lead to a two-score game, but still left time on the clock for the Bears, Mitch comes right back and throws the awful interception. And so putting these positions before, um, the Bears have not earned the respect for their brain trust or their quarterback play to say that they have the tools to win games like this. Kyle, last week, making my picks, I, I... – for 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 a second there, I thought about picking the Bears over the Packers, and and I and then I came to my senses a little bit and said, Sean, you can't do that. So you know maybe maybe the the same scenario is going to play out here. But but I agree with you, Hub. You know the Bears got to avoid the mistakes, and I don't know I don't know if they can do that against uh, a quality opponent. So what I'd worry a little bit about, buddy, is after you told Sean that he couldn't do that, did Sean talk back to you? <laughs> no, you know, uh, I'll leave that conversation in, in my own head. <laughs> Guys, we are out of time for this week. It is great to just be talking about a, a 17th game for the Chicago Bears this week, uh, this year. Um, uh, again, we can, we can come in on something that I, I was preaching about early in the week, and, and I'm done with it now. I'm tired of people saying they don't deserve it. They don't, they didn't earn it. That's not true. They did earn it. They do deserve it. They just may not be good enough to take advantage of it. I don't think those are semantics guys. I think those are two different situations. And I think, you know, my take on it is, uh, you know, more accurate as to where the bears are at. Uh, we hope everybody enjoys the game again. Uh, please go to shawlocal.com or iTunes or your app store to download a regular subscription to our podcast. Uh, maybe, maybe what happens Sunday will finally give us the name for this podcast going forward. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Let's, let's, let's approach the game that way and see what we can come up with. In the interim, everybody stay healthy, stay safe out there, and we will be back again next week with another edition of our ShawLocal.com Bears Insider Podcast. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, 
working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.